I'm in the room with Dr. Greg Watson and Dr. Paul Kelly. I'm your host, Tyler Sanders, and we are here to talk about teaching the Bible well. What that means is we're going to address challenges, we're going to talk about mistakes we all make, we're going to ultimately talk about how to better trust the text and let that be the foundation of the teaching we do. So I'm going to turn it over to Paul Kelly. He's going to tell us uh, our topic today. I think one of the things that I've really struggled with in, in, in teaching the Bible really gets to this to this this challenge of trying to uh, to teach something that I'm excited about or that I'm passionate about or sometimes use an activity because that's what's exciting and sometimes that completely misses what the text is talking about. Right. You know, so I think you can start start trying to teach, but teach in a way that it really doesn't give you this, this clear focus on this is what the text says. And, and I've heard a lot of other people that do the same kind of thing. It seems like to me that that's a big issue in terms of how we teach is if I'm teaching things that are just my own, you know, ideas or my own hopes that, that, it seems like to me that that creates a problem in Bible study. Have you experienced stuff like that, Greg? Yeah. The One of the things I've noticed is we, we Southern Baptists claim to be people of the book. We love our Bibles. We we, we fight to, to maintain a certain standard of belief in it. And, uh, you know, we're big on words like and, and concepts like inerrancy and, and inspiration. And those are things that are true. But we don't always teach or preach or present the, the Bible in, in those terms. We tend yeah. to notice it, and then we go off to find our application. Um, you know, my particular view of inspiration is, is that even the choice of words, the choice, the arrangement of the uh, clauses and things, uh, even those things are intentional. Mm. And that understanding what is there and how it's written is, is as important or more important to understanding God and ourselves than the application is. In other words, let's assure that this foundation that we accept is true. We're actually depending on that mm. to get to how we're supposed to live. Yeah, and, and it really does seem like that um, uh, that, that if I, you know, I taught youth ministry for lots and lots of years and, and, and did a lot of teaching with teenagers. And it seems like, you know, you know that there's some issues and problems that the teenagers are dealing with. So it's really easy to sort of jump from the text to, okay, now what this means for us is, um, and, and of course, you know, everybody's heard, you know, messages where uh, you have pastors that, that are really concerned about some topic or some idea or something that they want their church to move forward on. And so all of a sudden the text becomes about that right. instead of about what's in the right. text. Uh, it, it does seem like to me that that's, that that's problematic for us. I, I mean, for example, it seems like that when we do that, that we teach people to sort of have a bad hermeneutic, that they're not doing a good job, that we're not teaching them to do a good job of paying attention to right. the text. Instead of that, that we're modeling for them that the text can mean whatever you right. want it to mean. It shifts the authority. It shifts the authority from the Word of God mm -hmm. to the person who's speaking, to the words of the speaker. And uh, it's it's dangerous if people come out thinking that the application is the text, is what the text right. actually gets to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, what that makes me think of is uh, uh, there's probably a subtle difference here. I'm wondering if you guys can help me think through this. Uh, we do also value, uh, especially like in preaching, like knowing your congregation and knowing how to speak to them. Sure. And identifying problems or speaking to things that are 
maybe current issues or, or, or things that people are struggling with in the church right then. So how, how do you distinguish between, you know, not just taking the text and making it mean something different to addressing direct problems or, or, or issues that are going on in a church? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my perspective on that is that I start by being clear about what the text says, mm. that I need to interpret the text in light of its historical position in the Bible. You know, what, 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 okay, so Paul's writing this in Philippians. What does he mean for the Philippian Christians to understand? Because if I can help them to understand what it meant, you know, mm-hmm. if I can help uh, them to understand what the yeah. truth was there, then we can draw principles that we can make application of. And I think, gosh, the Bible does speak in so many different ways to our lives but it starts by having a clear understanding of what the passage is actually saying. Yeah. It, it seems like to me that one of the problems that we run into, too, is that we want to teach everything that the Bible has to say instead of teaching what's in this text. Oh, so, no. you know, you, you take a passage on love, you know, and, and we want to talk about love in so, sort of a broad way and not, not, uh, uh, not talk about, you know, what does 1 Corinthians 13 mean? really talking about what is it saying about love? You know, I think there are different contexts uh, for teaching different ways. Mm. I mean, there, you know, if you're if you're going to teach on 1 Corinthians 13, it might not be bad to take a Sunday or, you know, one, one, night, one night in your study to actually teach on the broader understanding of love, mm. but then bring it back to the specific nuance and the specific focus that 1 Corinthians 13 have, because not everything in 1 Corinthians is expressed everywhere else in Scripture. Right. The word agape, ah, oh, unconditional love, well, not really, not necessarily, mm. you know. And and so, you know, I'll leave it to you to go out and find those contexts where that's true, but, but we tend to take a concept and make it universally applicable, and it simply may not be. And you end up with bad application if you do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think that that's what I learned early on in ministry because of my Thompson chain reference. You know, it was like, you know, you'd have a word or a concept and then it helped you to trace it all the way through scripture. And it seems like that um that while it's valuable to see the breadth of what scripture talks about that if I'm not careful that I can miss what's in the text that's in front of me in order to do that. All right. So it comes, I think, if you had to kind of narrow it down to a couple of things that are required is, number one, what does the text actually say? Right. Um, and what is important in that text? And once you understand that, you've got to make a decision. What is more important, what the text said and what it meant, or the application you want to draw from it? Mm. And look, I, you, we cannot diminish the importance of, of how this fits into our lives. We can't. That's that's right. why we preach, right. is to draw. But the question is, what is more important to understand, the text or the application, the thing we want to draw from it? Well, and I think, you know, and I think both are important, right? That right. Both are essential to, to good Bible study, that if I'm going to teach the Bible, that I've got to help people to understand the text and then to understand how they can start to make application of that to their lives. Those things are both essential. But it, but it seems like to me that, it, that it's really kind of um, difficult to jump 
too application too quickly if right. I don't have a clear understanding of, of the text. Right. And I think some of that is because of the way that we've trained people to teach the Bible sometimes right. too, right? You know, you get you get a quarterly, you read through the lesson plan and maybe read through the background and then you jump into it. Gosh, if I haven't taken the time to sort of solidify in my mind what's this saying, then it may be that a lack of preparation is the biggest challenge right. that I'm going to run into as I try to, you know, teach the text. Look, I don't. I, I think it's important that we not diminish the importance, the significance of, of what we're talking about application here. Right. Because, man, being a biblical guy, a Bible scholar guy. I want you to understand the death, or, and mm-hmm. about 90% of it you don't need to know. Mm. Um, you don't need to know everything that informs my interpretation. It's kind of like CPR. Application is because you got people that are in a little crisis, they're in need, they've got right. confusion and stuff like that. If somebody's having a heart attack, they don't need you to explain all the steps in doing CPR. <laughs> they need you to pump a heart, you know? Right, right. Or maybe even further, like, you don't need to understand how CPR is affecting like exactly. your body that like, right. you know, this pressure is going to, you know, move your heart so much like that right. you kind of need to know the steps. Right. And it goes back to what you were saying about not giving too much. You need to have an understanding of who your audience is and understand that they don't need everything, you know, over prepare so and undersell. Yeah, that's so good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking I, I was preaching this text out of Titus uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of months ago, and I got really enamored at uh, how the, the, the just the, the story of Titus affected the passage that I was talking about. And so I was drawing comparisons about, you know, Cyprus and where we are and, and how, you know, Tim uh, Titus was given given these, these instructions because of the challenges in the specific, got all wrapped up in that. And, and the sermon just fell flat and it missed it. And so I went back to it and started thinking, okay, I know that didn't really work very well. What was the problem? And I started realizing that the problem was the thing that I was so excited about teaching, they missed because they got caught in the minutia of what I was right. talking about. I preached the same passage the very next week to a group of teenagers, and they thought it was the best sermon they had heard in years. <laughs> they were just like, this is amazing. you know. And I'm thinking, it's so different when you can say all of that rich understanding informs my interpretation right. of the passage and informs how I'm going to approach teaching. But I don't need for them to see all of the things that right. I've done in order to put together something, you know, that, that, I can, that I can offer to people in a lesson. Yeah, less is more. I mean, honestly, this we're talking about the, the content and stuff, but also many passages you can find three or four different important concepts or ideas that are being presented. Right. You can't do them all. Right. People cannot follow it. Pick one and follow it, and then the next time pick the other one and go, maybe mention that there are three or four, but narrow it down for people and, and narrow the text down so that your focus stays on target. Yeah. I think in my Bible teaching class, what I what I really try to get folks to do is to sort of teach down the middle of the passage. I say there yeah. are times when you may want to teach a side note, but uh, I want you to get the big picture. What is this passage really trying yeah. to teach? And if you can write that as an eternal principle, if you can yeah. say, this passage meant this, and so for today, here's the principle that's clearly taught in this, not, not just what it's about— but what it's saying about that, right. then I think you've got real a real opportunity to be able to to have an impact in that. 
Yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe we could give people an example of uh, yeah. of what that looks like. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, it comes to mind is is something in Ruth chapter one. Uh, now this is this is preached in virtually every wedding you're ever going to go to. It's the <laughs> wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will right. lodge. Passage, but um, there's an insight here that I want to and and I want to remind you. First off, read the text. Mm, read mm, it mm, again mm. and again and again, so that it's imprinted in your minds. Mm. Um, and like, and especially in a book like Ruth, read the whole book. Read it two or three times, and maybe in different translations. But but read the text. Have a, a grasp of it. Um, because as you read it again and again, insights start to fall out about it. I want to point something out to you here. Um, so kind of setting this up, Naomi's husband and sons have died, and she and her daughters-in-law are kind of get on the road, and they're going to head back to Bethlehem. And uh, she decides, you know, girls, you don't need to go with me. So she stops and she does this long argument, which is fascinating in itself. Does this long, drawn-out argument with them where she convinces them, no need for you to come. You need to go home. And here's what she says. Um, after the second time, she told them, go on home. She says, again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. In other words, she kissed her and left. One of the turning points in this book is this next little conjunction here. But... Mm. Ruth clung to her. Now, just this is not my point, but this is an important turn. If if Ruth does not kiss her mother, uh, does not cling to her mother-in-law, but goes away, we have no David. Mm. We have no rest of the story about uh, you know the way it fell out. Mm, right. So this is this is a pivotal moment, and it's just one little conjunction. Mm -hmm. But Ruth clung to her, and Naomi said, "Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Note that." Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. Now, I love, I love Ruth's response here. She says, but Ruth replied, stop trying to persuade me to leave you or to go back and not follow you. So we've got two, two statements here for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Now, we got to do a little, little language stuff here on these next two. In English, every clause, every sentence we use has to has a verb in it, right? Right. Hebrew, not so. So this next one in Hebrew actually lives, your people, my people, your God, my God. Mm. Every mm. translation you read is going to do, your God will be, and your people will be. Mm. Uh, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. But it's a verbless clause. Yeah. And... It, what it implies in that is that, well, Ruth is not yet a convert, so to speak. She's not. But there's no reason to translate it that way. Right. Listen to this. Do not persuade me to leave you or to go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Mm -hmm. She's already a convert. Mm, right. And so what that means is, is that whatever reason, for whatever reason, Naomi and, and Elimelech leave Bethlehem and go, you know, in the middle of this, this family, whatever reason they're there, they're evangelists. Mm. And, and this story falls out not because this woman goes and learns to be one of God's people, but it falls out that she is, and 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 uh, Boaz in chapter 2 acknowledges that you're more Israelite than most Israelites. Wow. Um, and this is, and look, 
I understand why people want to use this for right, the sentiment for a wedding is is excellent. It's what we want to be right, there. Right, right. But its significance lies within this story. Yeah. Because this is the woman that becomes the ancestor to King David and eventually who? King Jesus. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's so that's so good too. Because I think I think that if we just pick this up and teach it the way that we've heard it, you know, preached at weddings and all that kind of stuff, we miss some of the depth of what it could what it could really say. And if we're talking about, you know, Naomi really living out her faith in a way that her daughter-in-law, I, I mean, I don't know whether she evangelized her daughter-in-law and then she came into the house or whether she brought her daughter-in-law into the home and then lived out the faith in such a way that Ruth says, this is not just about, you know, your God. I'm not just here because I was married to your son. I've found God in the process of all this. And because of that, I've become a part of God's covenant people. That's, that's so huge. And it speaks so much to where we live today, doesn't it? I mean, that if I live out my faith in my neighborhood, in uh, if I don't live out my faith in my neighborhood, you know, my neighbors look at me and they don't know who I am or what what's going right. on. What, what what difference have I made? Right. But if I can live out my faith at home in that kind of a way, like Naomi did, where she demonstrated not just not just her own faith, but but included Ruth in the faith, ah, yeah. that all of a sudden becomes this really rich application for me that I don't just live out my faith apart from everybody, but that I include my, my guests and my friends and my people that visit me and my, my neighbors and, and those that I work with, that I include those people right. in the practice of my faith. That seems to be so much richer than just saying, yeah, she was going to go along because right. she was that dedicated to Naomi. Right. And look, in, in terms of the overall story, I know that's got the name of Ruth on it. This is Naomi's story. Mm. This whole passage here in chapter one is about the fact that Naomi has lost her station in life. Her job was to carry on to produce sons so right. that so that Elimelech's line could be carried on. And that's why she says, girls, my life is useless. Mm. It's, it's mm. hit a dead end. Go on without me. Go back. Get husbands back there. Um, and uh, this is Naomi's story because in the end, it's her you know, that, that becomes a focus again. But what happens here is this young woman that's come into her life sets aside a, a probably a more readily uh, beneficial future in order to come and do what mm. people who demonstrate the faithful love that God wants his people to do to this widow woman mm. who can offer her really nothing. That's so good. And so, you know, that's admirable principle-wise for applying to marriage. Mm. But the story itself spells it out in such a beautiful, clear way. Rest there yeah, and then say, so in terms of this story, where do you see this happening in your life? You know what? Yeah. 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 Well, it seems to me too that there's there's an affected dimension to this too, Greg. It's yeah. like it's like as we're reading the story, we can get the ideas of that. But if we really start to understand it, I mean, this is a heartbreaking story. I mean, yeah. when you're saying this is the story of Naomi, this isn't just an academic kind of thing where we can look at this and find some application in it. This is a heartbreaking story, yeah. and it ought to lead people to sort of have this this passion, this this understand this deep 
feeling for Naomi as a person who had lost her husband and lost her, 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 her both of her sons and was living in a foreign land and then, you know, dismisses out of just a sense of, of dedication, dismisses her daughters-in-law and have one of them say, I'm going to go with you. And then when she comes back, you know, just, I yeah. you know, people don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because right. I'm, I'm, I'm just overburdened with sadness. God has smacked me down. That's exactly mm. Listen, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to me that we, you know, we can read these stories over and over and over again. And, and we, you know, we, we just kind of read them in a, in a flat way and we teach them in kind of a flat way. Yeah, we don't yeah, give dimension. Yeah. But you know what? If you can study it and you can open up ideas like this so that people are drawn into the drama of the story and and they read it in a way that begins to evoke, to evoke these deeper, more emotional responses, they are going to become far more enamored with the text and with, with what it has to communicate than they are even with the application. Well, and that's where yeah. I start to get the people that become sort of these heroes of the faith for me, right? That that, that they start to identify with these people as real people and desire right. to emulate the kind of faith that that that, uh, that you see right. in their lives. Fair. Now, I've, I've got a question for you. So, what you said at the at the start of this with um, in regard to Ruth was like your two kind of points were like read the text you're teaching over and over and over again, and then read the whole book. Could you tell us? how to better read so that I, I think it can be hard when we're reading the Bible to actually pick up on the details. Sometimes even though it's mm -hmm. translated into English, it can be hard to kind of understand the shape of the story, the kind of narrative thread going through. How can people better read mm. or more effectively read in their preparation? I, I, I encourage my students um, to get two or three different translations, maybe the NASB, Holman or ESV, and then something like the New Living Translation or something, which is which is excellent, by the way. Mm -hmm. But they're written at different levels of of, of literal literalness, which, well, anyway, um, they you know read it in that way, and that way the wording can be clarified, meaning can be clarified. It's almost like you got scripture co uh, comment commentating on on scripture. Mm -hmm. Also, as you're reading, highlight those things that you don't, you know, there's concepts, there's historical references, there's people. If you don't know about those, man, there are all sorts of dictionaries, encyclopedias. But just mark it in the moment kind mm -hmm. of as like... Mark it in that moment. I don't get this. Right. Yeah. Because there are certain, like, you know, later on in Ruth, we get to the exchange of the sandal. Right. You know, um, you've got all these references to harvests and, and things mm -hmm. like that, that we don't really know anything about, even if we're farmers in this part of the world, we don't understand what it was like to do harvest mm -hmm. in, in the time of Ruth. So, you know, go and, and let those things inform the shape of the text. That's good. Um, yeah. That gives you that history. So you do your literary and then the historical, and it's somewhere between where that history and those literary aspects meet that you find your theology. Mm. I, I think that folks move, I think that a lot of times as teachers, we move too quickly to reading what somebody else thinks about the text. Yeah. And I think that 
what, what, what I try to do is, if I'm going to be, be teaching a passage, is I try to start early and just read the passage. And I keep a journal beside me, and I jot down notes, and I jot down questions that I have. Mm. And then I just keep reading it over because you know, I really believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that starts to help this, the, the, the Word to become clearer and clearer to you as you as you just soak in the text. And I think rather than jumping too quickly to... A lot of times, I think as teachers, we want to jump really fast from, I'm going to read the text. Okay, what's the application right. step of that? <laughs> yeah, and I just think that's a mistake. Yeah. I think that I start by really trying to gain a deep understanding, and that comes by not a casual reading or sitting down on Saturday night or Sunday morning before I'm going to teach the passage and reading through the passage before I try to teach it. It comes by starting early and not trying to answer all the questions, not trying to come up with the lesson, but mm. just reading the text, getting familiar with it, paying attention to the words, and and just letting the Spirit sort of draw things, draw your attention to different things in the text. I do this activity in my uh, in my Bible teaching class where I just have the students read a passage of Scripture, and then I tell them, okay, what did that say? And they they talk to me about it, and then I'm like, okay, great, read it again. So they assume they've re- they got it wrong, you know, and so they're reading through the text again, but oh, it's yeah, not yeah. really. And then I say, okay, tell me something that you saw in the text that you didn't see the first time you read it. Yeah. And two or three students are always, you know, I noticed that it says this, I noticed it. Then read it again. And, okay, tell me something. And I'll do it four or five different times. And every time Mm -hmm. students will come up with insights and ideas and an understanding of words and things like that that are in the text that they they never saw the first time or three times or four times that they read the text. And I think that's so huge in terms of just getting a deep understanding of the passage that yeah. that there's something different about reading the bible than reading you know CS Lewis or then reading mm-hmm. you know a novel or something yeah. like that there's just something different that's more engaging spiritually than anything else that I can pick up the Sunday school class that I teach, um, they're considerably older than me. Most of them are 65 to 75. I mean, it's, it's an older class. They've been in the church for 40 years, most of them. And uh, one of the things that I, I've learned to do is, number one, uh, the one things I had to realize is there's a lot of those ladies that have been doing Bible study fellowship longer than I've been alive. And so they know their Bibles. Yeah. So they're not really caught off guard. But for those who don't, especially the men in the class, they're learning new stuff. And what I find is, is so let's spend our 40 minutes kind of under 30 minutes or so understanding the text. But then in the next 20 minutes, I want to say, so this is what the text says. And I'll outline two or three things that the text affirms. Now, based on what the text affirms, what's some application? Mm-hmm. How does this fit? And the, and inevitably, two or three of them are going to say it has nothing to do with the text. And wait, 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 wait a minute. Show me where that applies in the text. It's true. It's right. It's good. But right. show me, connect this to this text. Make the steps, basically. Make the step and force them to stop and think and not to jump off the text, but to rest on the text. Mm. Um, mm. And, and it's, it's, it, it's made some people mad. There's been some frustration <laughs> in it. Um, it's never easy to have to stop and critique yourself and, and stuff yeah. like that. But the exercise has always been really fruitful because... Man, you get some really in good insights mm. too. So Yeah, that's the kind of funny thing I find is that harder the answer you have to search a lot harder for ends up being a much richer mm. because I think it's true, or mm. at least more true. 
the thing that I come up with and I try to insert in there always mm. is much more shallow than mm. what the, mm. the Bible's yeah. intending. You know? So good. Well, I've got a little challenge for you guys. All right. So we're going to do this Wheel of Fortune style. We've got a, <laughs> a spinning board here, and we're going we're gonna to spin it. And uh, on the board, we have different age groups. <laughs> oh, Lord. And so I'm going to ask you guys to, 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 on the spot, see if you can figure out how you would, how you would teach and then maybe make a step to application to you. Okay. Uh, the passage we went over for a, a different age group. So let me, let me spin the board real quick. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I don't know. This is going to be crazy. <laughs> okay. That's children's class. So the little wow. ones. Wow. Wow. Not, not six months. Okay. A little <laughs> older than that. Yeah. So you got to change their diapers at least. Right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, kids love stories. So, so telling the story and telling the story well is going to be useful. Obviously, there's a lot in this story they're not going to easily identify with, but they do know what it's like to lose things or to lose people. So, mm. you know, many of them will have experienced loss or know about loss. And so, you know, talking about how sad it was that, uh, uh, that Naomi lost her husband while she was living in another place far away from where she lived. I think all that stuff is going to be useful for kids. That'll be helpful in terms of them drawing the picture. Um, and, and certainly as, as they talk about, you know, as we talk about Naomi being really all alone as she starts to send her daughters-in-law away. I mean, you know, kids are good at empathy, you know, at yeah. least in grade school age and, and really even earlier that we start to see good empathy with kids. So asking them to uh, to empathize with her challenge, with her problem, and then to talk about her daughter-in-law who she loved but that she thought should go back to her family – to talk about her as staying with Naomi, I think will be a really, you know, powerful thing for them. Mm, you know, right. what would it be like if all of your family was gone and your one sister or your your one, you know, uh, your one aunt, you know, somebody that, that really wanted to be with you and care for you and love you? I think all that's good. Hmm. What do we call, uh, you know, I think I was, what, what is this? That we see, why did Ruth cling to her mother-in-law? Mm-hmm. What 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 would we call something that would cause her not to go back to her mom mm-hmm. and dad, but to stay mm-hmm. with with Naomi? Why 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 did that? Well, it's love, mm-hmm. you know. And so you know, let's let's read this. You know, if 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 you read this with them inside of love, do not persuade me to leave you or to go back from why because, because she I loves love you. you. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever you go, I'll go because I love you. Mm-hmm. And and so you get that one little principle, that one little nugget that a six-year-old can grab mm-hmm. onto mm-hmm. and say, so what does it look like to love your mom and dad or your brother and your sister or your grandmother or grandfather yeah. or your friend? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so good. And then I think turning the corner that you're talking about and saying, and it's not just that Ruth loved Naomi. But Ruth loved Naomi's God. Yeah, that exactly. she had learned to love God because Naomi had shown her God. And without placing that gospel presentation in this passage, you can say, "Let me tell you what Jesus." This is yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. yeah. That way, you your your interpretation and you're you're resting on the text, but you're also making it clear that look, there's this too. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think then, mm. you know, turning the corner and saying, how do we make mm. application of this for kids? Well, part of it is saying, how can you show love to other people? And how can you help them to know God and to love God? Right. That those kinds of things and letting letting kids say, well, I, I, I'm going to care for my friends. I'm going to share my toys. I'm going to, you know, whatever those those application moments are, that those things are really useful. But but helping them to experience the empathy and then wanting to transfer that to right. me being concerned and loving towards other people and showing them the love and the concern and the compassion of God. You've got so many of these children, too, that are coming out of broken homes with too mommies mm, or two mm, daddies mm, mm. Um, with with deaths or tragedies you know a good many of them are in foster care um, and so you know the whole question of moms dads and definitely the idea of mother-in-law father-in-law mm. like it's just, just way out of their their realm um, yeah. but but the one thing they can cling to is I can love the people around me absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's really good. Uh, I just want to thank the listeners. Thanks for listening. But we have a challenge for you this week. And as you're teaching the Bible, we want to challenge you to rest on the text Mm -hmm. rather than using it as a jumping off point. Yeah. That's it. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. Thank you.